This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For June 15th, 2018. In this week's episode, we discuss the differences between purchasing your Mac applications from the Mac App Store or directly from a developer's website. Plus, the latest changes in the App Store guidelines target crypto mining apps. And a code signature checking vulnerability in some third-party apps gives us the chance to explain code signatures, code signing, and Apple's gatekeeper security features. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. It's been a slow week, Josh. It's like this every summer after Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. They announce a lot of new software, and then everyone just relaxes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty typical. I've been playing around with iOS 12 beta. I haven't really done much with Mojave. I've tried to install it, and I, had, I ran into some issues and it's trying to set up my own virtual machine on my Mac so that I could play with it. I certainly don't want to install it as my production operating system on any computer that I use at this point. Well, I've set up Mojave in a virtual machine, but what I've done in the past is just used an external hard drive on my laptop. I bought a cheap SSD a few years ago when I have an enclosure, and it's not as fast as running when it's on the computer itself, but it's actually sometimes faster than running in a virtual machine. A virtual machine means that you set up a sort of a container. There are two well-known apps for this, VMware's Fusion and Parallel's Desktop. And you can set up a container with an operating system. And this could be a version of Mac OS. It could be Windows. It could be Linux and other operating systems. So I have several versions of Mac OS in virtual machines. And I have Windows 10 as well, because sometimes I need to look at that for things that I'm working on. The advantage of virtual machines is that if something goes wrong, assuming that you're backing up your virtual machine every day, if something goes wrong with the operating system, rather than reinstall it, which takes a while, you just get your last backup of the virtual machine, replace the one that got corrupted, and launch from there. And of course, another advantage to virtual machines is that, assuming that you've got enough RAM in your system to be able to run two operating systems at the same time, you don't have to reboot in order to try something in another operating system. So that's that's a nice advantage too. Yeah, my problem with not being able to get Mojave working was... I'm trying to use Oracle VirtualBox, which is a free okay. yeah. <laughs> program, and it's not as full-featured as uh, Parallels Desktop or, or VMware Fusion. So Yeah, those latter apps, they're, they're not cheap, but if you do this regularly, it saves you a lot of time. Yeah. So there is some security news this week, isn't there, Josh? Yeah, there, there's a little bit. <laughs> um, one thing that uh, that came up that was kind of interesting was this idea of third-party security tools that check for code signing potentially being bypassable through some specific clever methods. Okay, let's start by explaining what code signing is. Yeah, code signing. So this is a really important concept. The idea behind code signing is that you want to make sure that an app that you downloaded and that you want to run on your system actually comes from the developer that it's not some trojanized version of it, some hacked you know, version of an app, and trying to get you to install this on your machine. You also want to make sure that you're not just downloading some rogue software that Apple certainly wouldn't approve. And so the idea behind code signing, especially when you were talking about Mac OS, is that 
you generally want to avoid running apps that haven't been signed by the Apple Code Signing Certification Authority. You can kind of think of these certificates as very similar to what you see on websites. So when you go to a website that, that starts with HTTPS, then you get this little lock icon in your browser and usually it will tell you that that's a secure connection to that site. Well, very similarly to that, you can have an application that's code signed and that basically confirms the identity of that code as belonging to that particular developer. Right. So when a developer creates a developer account with Apple, they can then request a certificate and they use this certificate to create a file that they put inside the application package when they're compiling the application in Xcode, which is the development tool. And when the app is distributed, this certificate is there. Now, there are two ways that this certificate can work. It can confirm that an app is from a specific developer. And if you buy apps from the Mac App Store, that helps indicate who has created an app. And if you get the app through the Mac App Store, it helps confirm. And I guess when you download an app through the Mac App Store, that certificate is, is validated. But this code signing is also used in apps that developers distribute themselves in order to confirm that they are the person who's made the apps. And there's a security feature in macOS called Gatekeeper, which reads these certificates, compares them to Apple's certificate database to help confirm that an app that you launch, the first time you launch it, is indeed a, a, a valid signed app. That's exactly right. You want to make sure that whatever you're running is, is signed, generally speaking. And sometimes there are some third-party apps that won't be signed, it's very rare that you come across something that is a legitimate app that's not gonna have a code signature on it. Gatekeeper is a feature that works under the hood, but you can control it a bit from the security and privacy preference pane in system preferences. If you click the general tab, you'll see a section at the bottom, allow apps downloaded from App Store or App Store and identified developers. Now, both of these depend on code signing, but the first option will only let you run apps that you've downloaded from the App Store. The second will let you run apps that you've downloaded from developers that are code signed. There used to be an option to allow apps downloaded from anywhere. And a couple years ago, Apple hid that. You can run a terminal command to make that appear again. And I'll put a link in the show notes. For example, I download beta versions of apps. I know a bunch of developers and they'll send me apps and I'll have to be able to launch an app that's not necessarily code signed. There, there are two ways to do this. If you right-click or control-click on an app, you can choose to open it, and that will ask for a password to get past this, this blocking that Gatekeeper's done. But if you do this often, you might want to run this terminal command and set your security and privacy setting to anywhere so you won't be bothered every time you open an app that's not signed. I think probably for the average user, though, I think it's safe to, to keep it to Mac App Store and identified developers. Because again, most of the time, most legitimate software that you're going to download is going to have a code signature. The exceptions would usually be if it's a really small developer and they don't want to pay the $100 a year Apple tax. 99, <laughs> come on. To get a, a developer certificate from being part of that official Apple developer program. If they choose not to be in that program, then, you know, they won't be able to have an Apple official sig signature on their apps. Again, that's a pretty rare case where you're going to come across an app that has that little usage that the developer is just not going to buy a certificate, essentially. 
There's one useful thing about code signing. Uh, these certificates are checked in real time. So if it turns out that an app developer has done anything malicious, Apple can pull the certificate. And when your Mac tries to launch the app, it will get a response from Apple's, I guess, certificate server, would you call it that? Saying, hey, this certificate is no longer valid. And that's a good thing because this can protect you. You may have an app that you downloaded that may be doing something malicious and something that might not get noticed. And if Apple had reported it, they can basically pull the plug on the app. Right. And this actually has happened many times where, you know, it's become a lot more common for Mac malware to actually be code signed. Sometimes this might be, you know, somebody um, who's developing some malware actually signed up for an Apple developer certificate so they could sign their apps. The other possibility is that sometimes that developer's account might have been hijacked and now someone has the ability to pretend to be some legitimate developer and sign an app. Either way, once malware is known to have used that developer account to sign code, Apple can easily pull that, as you mentioned. So it does actually happen. This We see this a lot more where malware is being signed, both on Mac and it also happens on Windows and other platforms as well. Okay, so that's what code signing is. Now explain what this vulnerability is that apparently has been able to bypass code signing for years. Yeah, this is a kind of a clever trick. And if I understand this, essentially what's going on here is that if you use a third-party app to check out the code signatures on, on a program, what most programs were doing was really only checking one of the binaries. Now, this gets a little technical, but essentially you've got some different binaries within an app, potentially. So so remember way back in 2006 and earlier, Apple was using a different processor architecture. There was the PowerPC processor. And so macOS apps can include PowerPC code. They can also include 32-bit Intel processor code. They can also include 64-bit Intel processor code. So there's a few different possibilities for different um, binaries or kind of apps uh, within that app that can be launched. Depending on what your your particular Mac is, that determines what code gets launched when you double click on an app. So if there's two or three different options there, and the first one that gets checked by a third-party utility is code signed, but the second one, the one that might actually be running on your system when you double click the app, if that's not signed, or if it has an invalid signature, then some third-party utilities may not catch that. That's sneaky. Yeah, it is pretty sneaky. Yeah. This is not something probably that's going to affect too many people, because again, this is if third-party apps are checking your code signatures, if that's what you're relying on to see if an app is signed. Apparently, this was something that was not well-documented by Apple, and that's why it's specifically with third-party utilities that have a problem with checking these signatures. Now that it's known, companies that make a, a signature checking app have begun to update their apps to properly identify if any of those binaries inside of an app may not actually be signed or properly signed. Okay. In other news, Apple has updated their app store guidelines 
to add some new restrictions to to what apps can do. Yeah, and (laughs) this is kind of funny because we've talked recently, not too long ago anyway, about the idea of crypto jacking and, and even for a Mac app, that was briefly in the Mac App Store that allowed the developer essentially to use your computer to mine cryptocurrency. At the time, I think we, we talked about how it's certainly not something that Apple wants to encourage developers to do, and that depending on how you read Apple's App Store guidelines, it probably was not acceptable to Apple based on the guidelines at the time to do this background cryptocurrency mining as at least in the way that that particular app was doing it. Well, now Apple has put some very specific language in saying that you cannot run processes that are unrelated to your app in the background. And they specifically say such as cryptocurrency mining. Right. Another change to the App Store guidelines is the ability to collect data from your contacts. Right. And, and this is something that uh, you want to probably avoid if, if apps are, are grabbing your contacts. Um, well, they can do some nasty things with that. <laughs> well, the main reason that some apps want to access your contacts, for instance, the calendar app, or if you use a third party calendar app, it's so you can add the names of people you're inviting to events. If you're using a different email client than Apple Mail, it needs to be able to access your contacts. So there are some legitimate reasons for this to happen. Certainly, yeah. And and of course, one of the common things that you might come across is, for example, a game that you know wants to connect you with all of your friends who might have also signed up for to play this game. Like that game Cricket with Friends, for instance. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so there's lots of these games out there, and a lot of times they'll want to connect to your Facebook account because that's where people tend to have all their friends, but sometimes they'll actually request your contacts. And once you've given up that right you know, to the privacy of your contacts, that app will continue to have access to your contacts in the future. Anytime that you run that app, it can check your contacts again and provide that to the developer. And who knows how safely and securely they're actually storing all of your precious contact information. Right. So it's not even that you're at risk because you did something dumb. You're at risk because your friends did something dumb. And that's what's really annoying. Indeed. We got an email from, well, he says his name is John, but that could be an alias. He says, on one of the podcasts, I heard you recommend having the fraudulent website warning feature active on browsers. Are you aware that the feature sends every URL you type or click to Google? That's not exactly how it works, John. And if you check on Apple's support forums, you'll see tons of people who are asking why they see a message in Safari saying that this service is unavailable and that there hasn't been an update in two days or seven days or whatever. What Safari does is it downloads a database that Google builds. It doesn't check each URL or link when you click it, it checks before it even sends a request to a web server. So it's not tracking what you're doing. This is a database that all the big companies are involved in. And, you know, the fact that Apple is using this shows that they think it is extremely secure. So you have nothing to worry about as far as this is concerned. Now, other browsers may implement this differently. There are two different ways that this can be used, but Apple definitely uses the one where they have to download the information. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to announce this month's winner of a $100 Visa gift card. We give out one of these each month to people who answer our survey. 
There'll be a link in the show notes to the survey, so if you want to be next month's winner, hop over and answer some questions. School's out, and your kids will have more time than ever to spend on their favorite activities. And if those activities mean spending more unsupervised time online, you might want to consider using controls to manage your kids' computer access. And of course, Intego has you covered. You may be familiar with some of the basic parental controls offered by Apple, but Intego takes your control of security much further than that. At the Intego.com website, we've got side-by-side comparisons of Apple's built-in security and the advanced features of Intego Content Barrier. Content Barrier is a suite of software that gives you more complete parental controls for peace of mind. And now, through the end of June, you can purchase Content Barrier Secure X9 at 40% off. It's a great way to start protecting yourself and your children from harmful online content. And guarding your children's online activities is crucial when you can't always be there to protect them. With Content Barrier Secure X9, you will be. Save 40% on Intego Content Barrier Secure X9 now through the end of June and have a real safe summer. So this month's winner of the $100 Visa gift card is Greg S. from Australia. Thanks, Greg, for filling out our survey, and we hope you're enjoying the show. We'll be in touch by email, and we're very happy to share this with you. Josh, we were talking about code signing in the Mac App Store, and I thought it might be a good idea to discuss the pros and cons of buying Mac apps from the Mac App Store and directly from developers. Now, if you're like me, you've probably got lots of apps on your Mac, right? If I look into my applications folder, there are 223 apps on my Mac. Now, I guess you get a couple dozen with your Mac, you know, all the stock apps and pages and numbers and Keynote and all that. And we probably both have multiple web browsers because that's the kind of thing that we use and utilities. And, you know, when you add it up more than 200 apps, that's quite a bit. I'm going to guess you have more than that. Though. Now I'm going to have to check. I, I, I certainly download apps all the time. I'm pretty close. I think right now I have 171 items in my applications folder. So you're that's, a novice. Eh, it's it's getting up there. So do you buy a lot of apps <laughs> from the Mac App Store or not? Um, no, and I don't necessarily keep them on my Mac when I do download something. Sometimes I'll check something out and eh, it's not exactly what I was looking for and then I'll delete it. But um, yeah, I, I, do, I, I do download a fair number of apps, I would say. The Mac App Store has a number of advantages. And, and the first that we just discussed a few minutes ago is code signing. You know that when you download an app from the Mac App Store, that it is safe. As you said, there have been a couple of cases where certificates have been revoked and even apps in the Mac App Store, but it's relatively rare. You can pretty much trust the Mac App Store isn't going to be providing Trojan horses. And you can't necessarily say the same for similar app stores on other platforms, can you? I I would say that as far as app store security goes, Apple has done a better job of keeping the stuff in their app store safe. And this is true both for Mac and iOS. Correct. Yeah, I I would say compared to, say, like the Google Play Store, which has had some pretty nasty stuff in there. It's pretty rare that you get anything bad in either of, uh, you know, Apple's macOS or iOS app stores. It does happen from time to time, but usually those things get caught fairly quickly and pulled from the store. And it's certainly, I would say, not as prevalent of, uh, of an issue as it is for other stores such as Google Play. So one of the things about the Mac App Store that makes it really easy to buy apps is that there are no serial numbers. 
when you buy an app, it's linked to your Apple ID and you don't have to remember a serial number or save the email you got with the serial number or re even remember which email address you used to buy it, which often when you register an app, you have to put an email address and a serial number. And that makes life a lot easier, doesn't it? Yeah. It, well, you do have to remember any, what email address is associated with your Apple ID. So you can log into your Apple ID account. Right. But that's the one you're signed into on your Mac in most cases. Yeah, right. Most people don't have more than one. Right. That, yeah, I guess that's probably true. I, I kind of accidentally have multiple Apple IDs. Well, but hold on a second. If you launch an app on your Mac and you're not signed in, then you'll get a dialogue with that email address in the first field asking for your Apple ID password because the app knows which email address you've used to buy it. It knows which Apple ID you used to buy it. Yeah. So, so I, I guess, I guess your point is well taken that it is easier than having to remember, okay, well, I think maybe I was working for that company or I was using my old address then. It's it, it's definitely easier. Your AOL address, right? Yeah, my AOL address. <laughs> it's also easier to pay. You've got a single account. I have never felt that I couldn't trust Apple when I'm paying for something online. You've got the one account that's the same account for your iOS apps, same account for iTunes, for music, for movies, for Apple Music and all that. So you've got a single payment source and you don't have to update your payment information. It's already recorded, which of course, Apple has done this because it's a frictionless process. It's so much easier to get people to buy an app with a single click than it is where they have to click and go to another page and fill in credit card information and address and go through all sorts of hoops. So you can buy apps relatively quickly like this. Another advantage is that you can install apps from the Mac App Store on any Mac that you use. Now, they say for personal use, if you're a business or a school, then obviously that would be sort of bending the rules. But if you've got several Macs and you want to install an app, you don't have to worry if the license is for multiple Macs or just for one. That is a nice advantage. You have all sorts of potential ways of having certain apps licensed uh, if you're buying from some other party. But with Apple, you know what you're getting. You, you know exactly that if I download this app, I can run it on whatever computers that, that I want to run it on that are my personal computers that I'm signed into the App Store using my Apple ID on. And one of the other advantages that I think is really useful is the fact that updates are centralized. You open the App Store app and you click on the updates tab and you'll see how many updates there are. And these are apps from different developers that have been updated at different times. And you don't have to worry about the app that you launch and then you get a dialogue asking if you want to update or an app that says, well, if you need to update from this older version, you have to go to our website and download a new one because we've changed our updater. So with the Mac App Store, you don't worry. All your updates come in the same place. It's very easy. Yeah, and that's something that I particularly like because... There are a few things that bug me more than that app that I run every once in a while. And every single time I run that app, it checks for an update and immediately blasts me with, hey, there's an update available. You should install this now before you do any of your work. Yeah. Uh, leave me alone. All I wanted to do was use the app for a minute here. And you've already got update notifications popping up in my face. So I definitely agree that it's nice to have that centralized update feature. There are some advantages to buying directly from developers. And the first of these is that apps are more flexible. We've talked in the past about sandboxing. Uh, sandboxing is limitations that apps can't just do anything if they're in the Mac App Store. 
if you buy something directly from a third-party developer, and this has nothing to do with code signing, the app can access more parts of your file system. It has the ability to do more things. And, and this is particularly the case when it comes to system-level utilities, things that, you know, maybe change your menu bar, change sort of standard finder features, things like that. So you'll find apps that, in some cases, the Mac App Store version is like a trimmed-down version of an app that a developer sells directly. A great example of this is um, security and utility suites. For example, you know, Intego's offerings. We do have a program in the Mac App Store that you can download and and do a one-time scan of, of your files. There's no way for a developer to put a full-featured suite that deeply integrates into your system to protect your computer in the Mac App Store. There's no way to, to hook in at that level into your operating system that it can protect it on a, any significant way. Right. And and that's a drawback for the Mac App Store, not just for security, but for the other types of utilities that might be useful to have in the Mac App Store. One of the things is that many Mac users probably don't even know that you can buy software outside the Mac App Store anymore. So they might not even search some of these tools that could be very useful for them. Another advantage of direct software is free demo versions. Now, Apple is currently doing something that's a bit of a kludge to allow this in the Mac App Store. And one way that an app developer can do this is make an app that's free, but extremely limited. And in order to keep using it or to use all the features, you have to buy an in-app purchase. I don't particularly like this because if you've got an app with a light and a pro version, for example, and you, you haven't used it for a year and you install it on a new computer, you might forget that you've made this in-app purchase and there's nothing to tell you about this. Now, you may find apps that are in the Mac App Store for which if you go to the developer's website, you can download a demo version. Uh, in some cases, they'll sell it directly. In others, they might not. They'll only make the demo available so you can have a full-featured demo since you can't do this in the Mac App Store. Yeah, it can definitely be a bit confusing uh, if, if you're going back and forth between um, versions that are not on the Mac App Store and versions that, that are of different programs. You know, it is something that um, at least the rumor is that Apple's kind of been toying with this idea of allowing demo apps in the app stores, but uh, it's not something that Apple has really allowed yet. And as you mentioned, the light versions, a lot of times that's what developers do as kind of this workaround is they'll just put two app versions of the app in the app store. And one of them will be so-called the light version, which really just is a stripped down feature version. And that's their way of getting around this restriction on Apple not letting you use the word demo. Right. And in iOS, you often see app name free. So there's a free version and a full version. Right. And so that's the demo is the free version. And then, of course, it nags you to go get the pro version if you want it. Another thing that Apple is either starting to do soon or maybe in the fall is they're going to allow subscriptions in the Mac App Store. Now, I'm not really a fan of subscription software in general, but there are apps that benefit from this. Apple has also said that Microsoft Office will be in the Mac App Store. And that's interesting because that's an app for which currently people buy a subscription directly from Microsoft. Presumably, you'll be able to buy that subscription from Apple in the future. When you buy this from Microsoft, you have a limit to the number of devices you can use it on, depending on which license you've bought, the home, business, or pro, or whatever. And I'm not sure how they're going to manage that. Since the Mac App Store lets you install apps on any Mac that you have, 
will Microsoft have a separate subscription registration? It'll be interesting to see what they do because they could put these on the Mac App Store simply for ease of use because it makes it easier for people to download them. But will they be able to keep the same limitations that they have? And this is the same for other apps that are subscription-based apps. I use Evernote to organize some of my bits and pieces of text and things. And that's an app that you can get for free because there's a basic free version. If you pay for a subscription for a better to have better features, that is something you enter into the app, but it's not something that you necessarily pay for through an app store. So I think we're, we're getting into an area where it could be a little bit confusing for subscription apps between the app store and not in the app store. Are they the same price? Maybe there's a discount outside the app store. But when Apple introduced the Mac app store, they said that you can't sell something cheaper outside the Mac app store if you're selling it in the Mac app store. So on the one hand, this may simplify, but on the other hand, this may make things a little bit confusing for people who are familiar with getting apps from outside the app store. Wow, we said App Store a lot just in the last few minutes here. <laughs> we did. App Store, App Store, App Store. All right. I think that's a good overview of the Mac App Store. Obviously, on iOS, this question doesn't exist because you can't easily install apps that don't come from the iOS App Store. You would have to jailbreak your iPhone or iPad. We've said many times jailbreaking is a kind of a hack. We don't recommend it. It's not very secure. So on iOS, all you can get is the App Store. But on the Mac, you still have these options. It's worth, if you're not aware that there are developers who sell software, it's worth scouting them out. It's not as easy to find them anymore. You know, you can't buy too many printed magazines and go to websites that talk about Mac hardware and software to find out about them. One advantage, again, with the App Store is that you just enter a search term in the search field and you can find, you know, all the apps about, I don't know, cats, for instance. There have to be some cats apps in <laughs> the Mac App Stores. There's things about cats everywhere on the internet. Of course, it's the internet. Well, it is. All right, with all this, I think we've said enough about the App Store and the App Store and the App Store. Josh, have a good week and stay secure. All right, you too, Kirk. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.